The Sermon on the Mount. Though it was delivered on the side of a hill one day in Israel, its power, truth, and simplicity have pierced through every century since. His divinely inspired words are not only timeless, they are timely for us. We hope you will join us as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Well, what an awesome opportunity this is. Thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in that wonderful time of worship. And uh, it's just awesome to be back with you. I haven't been back in about four and a half months or five months, something like that, uh, to preach, much less to worship with you guys. And the gospel's already been preached through the baptisms. Uh, so I guess we can just pray and be done. Uh, but. We're not going to do that. I'm going to preach. Uh, so as Pastor Jason said, uh, my name is James Valet, um, and I'm the lead planting pastor of Redeemer Dripping Springs. We've been meeting with our core team for about three and a half months. We've met like 13 or 14 times, and God's hand has just been upon everything that's happened in Dripping Springs, and we give, all the, we give him all the glory for all of the wonderful things that he's doing. But I also just want to begin by saying thank you uh, to this church. I want to say thank you for your support. I want to say thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your generosity. I want to say thank you to Pastor Jason for teaching me and training me and investing in me. And I just want to say ultimately thank you to the Lord for working through you to plant a church that desperately needs uh, a church. So I want to begin just by saying it's an honor to be here with you, and I'm grateful grateful for this opportunity. So you guys are, are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached before in the history of preaching. And the reason it's the greatest is because it was preached by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you're in a section of the Sermon on the Mount, it's called the Beatitudes. It's basically Jesus defining what it means to be blessed blessed, what it means to be happy, what it means to have God's favor rests upon you. And the first seven Beatitudes, I think, have to do with the character of a follower of Jesus. Like, these are the character traits of a follower of Jesus. And I think they get more difficult as they go. And then the last few have to do with the circumstances of a follower of Jesus. But the reason I say I think they get more difficult as they go down the list is because you think, I think about the first one personally, blessed are the poor in spirit. It didn't take much for me to realize my brokenness and realize that I needed God's help and to be poor in spirit over that and to mourn over that. But then you start getting later on, like last week, I'm sure you talked about to be pure. That's hard. Today, we're going to look at one verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. So if you got your Bibles, turn there. We're going to look at one verse. It's 12 words, but loaded with wonderful, sweet truths and promises from God. Matthew 5, verse 9 says this, and I think this is one of the most difficult ones. But he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice he didn't say peacekeepers. He said peacemakers. That's a difficult, hard, radical call. 
but we desperately need peacemakers in our world today. We desperately need that. So this is incredibly relevant for us. And before we get into it, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer real quick. So I'd ask you to bow with me and, and let's pray. Let's go before God and ask him for help. So Father, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. We come to you humbled and grateful. God, humbled in your presence, humbled that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe, full of grace and mercy and steadfast love, and grateful that we can approach you. We can approach your throne of grace as a child approaches his father, and we can ask for help in our time of need. And God, we ask for your help now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and in our hearts in a special way. She would open our eyes to understand this passage of Scripture. God, make us wise where we're simple, not so that our heads can be fat, but so that our hearts can be full. I pray that we would leave here with hearts full of love for Jesus Christ, full of love for other people, and full of the desire to be peacemakers. So teach us now, God, through your Holy Spirit, through your Word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so there are these two celebrated historians, Will and Ariel Durant. They wrote a book, you may be familiar with it, maybe not. It's called Lessons of History. And in one of the chapters, it's titled The History of War. And this is what they say in the very first words of that chapter. They say, war is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization or democracy. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 of them have not seen war. And that's not including the unrecorded wars that happened between tribes that we don't even know about. 3,500 years, the human race has never been without war conflict. Is that not a chilling reality, a chilling statement, a sobering statement, that war and conflict are just a part of what it means to be human? It's like a human reality. Today, anyone who's old enough to understand what's going on on the TV or to understand what's going on in the radio news or whatever knows that there's wars being fought right now, actual literal wars with guns and bombs and stuff like that, but political wars as well. Our country is more polarized now politically than it's ever been before in the past. There's conflict and strife. There's conflict in our marriages. There's conflict in parenting. There's conflict in our friendships and our relationships with one another. Conflict, it's one of the most consistent and greatest problems of humanity since sin entered the world. The explanation for it is simple, it's sin. The reason there's conflict and the reason there's war is because of sin. We're we're broken people who live in a broken world. And that's why it's the absence of peace. And we all long for peace. So how do we get it? There are many solutions offered. Some of them are ridiculous and some of them are impossible. I saw a bumper sticker that said, what if they had a war and no one showed up? I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've read this week, for sure. If they are at the place to where they're going to fight a war, somebody's going to show up and get the easy victory. Or what about just human willpower? Just me, like, 
gritting my teeth and clenching my fists and pulling myself up by my bootstraps and saying, the next time my teenager pops off to me or the next time my two-year-old looks at me when I tell him no and he says, I'm going to kill you, which is what Titus says right now, my two-year-old. We say, no, you can't watch a show. He's like, I'm going to kill you. So the next time my teenager pops off to me, every time from this point forward, I'm just going to grit my teeth and say, say, you know what? I'm just going to be the perfect, loving father to them, just like my heavenly father is with me. I'm going to be so full of grace with them every single time from this point forward. That sounds good. That sounds good. And that'd be great. And I may be able to do it one or two times, and then I'm going to fail, and I'm going to uh, fly off the handle at my teenager, and I'm going to grab my little two-year-old up and spank him and put him in his crib. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. No one, no one can live by the golden rule. No one can master any of these beatitudes. No one can be a peacemaker without Jesus. The answer to this is not a human problem. It's, it's, it's a theological problem. We need a radical heart change. We need Jesus and the Holy Spirit to change our hearts before we have any chance of being peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This divine proclamation, when understood and taken to heart and applied by the Holy Spirit, can not only bring inner peace in our hearts and peace with God, our Creator, but also we can be used as instruments of peace in this world. So praise God for that. This passage is extremely relevant, as I said, for us today. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about depending on the ultimate peacemaker. Number one, depending on the ultimate peacemaker. We're going to talk about desiring to be a peacemaker, a true peacemaker. And then we're going to talk about delighting in the benefits of being peacemakers. So depend on the ultimate peacemaker. This is the first one. Who is the ultimate peacemaker? It's the Lord himself. In Isaiah, when he prophesies about Jesus coming, one of the titles that he gives him is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And then when Jesus is actually born and the angels sing about him, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men on those whom his favor rests. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And he shows us that this peace, ultimate, true peacemaking, peace, ultimate, real, true peace is not cheap. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that's Christ. And through him, that's Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That peace was not cheap. Christ gave his life, shed his blood on the cross so that we could have peace with our Father in heaven. So Jesus saw the gravity of our problem. He saw like humanity is born in sin, separated from God. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. He went and gave his life 
sacrificed himself, shed his blood on the cross so that we could have peace with our Father in heaven. And he also makes it possible for us to have peace among each other. We see this in Ephesians 2. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body, his own body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. So any kind of dividing wall that divides humanity, whether it be political or racial or financial or whatever, Jesus came to tear that down and to make it possible for us to not only have peace with our Father in heaven, but for us to have peace with one another. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, and if we are going to be peacemakers, we must depend upon him. He attained peace for us. First, we must depend upon the ultimate peacemaker. Like I said, we're born at war with God. We're born with our sinful nature. Our sin separates us from God. So we have unrest in our souls, conflict in our hearts, and conflict against God. But God made a way for us to have peace with him again and have peace with each other. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ, through the cross. So let me ask everybody in here, Every single person in the room, are you at peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Have you repented of your sin? Have you, have you agreed with God about your sin? And my sin was offensive, God. I've rebelled against you. And I see Christ on the cross shedding his blood so that I could have peace with you again. Forgive me of my sin. Make me right with you again. Reconcile me to yourself so that we can have peace. Have you ever done that? We just saw three people profess that publicly, and I'd love for there to be more. If you haven't done that, I beg and plead with you to do it, to do it now. Trust in Christ. Depend upon the ultimate peacemaker. Place all of your dependence and your trust on him. And if you have not, there's no way that you can be a peacemaker in this world. There's no way you can be used as an instrument of peace if you still have unrest in your heart and no peace with God. So that's first. We must depend on the ultimate peacemaker. Second, we must desire to be peacemakers. Since we have Christ as this ultimate example of a peacemaker and we're to long to be like Christ, here in Matthew 5, 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, then we need to know how to be a peacemaker. Like, how does a peacemaker go about making peace? What is a peacemaker not? And what is a peacemaker? So let's talk about that. First, let's start with what a peacemaker is not. Number one, a peacemaker is not the kind of person who is just easygoing and laissez-faire. I don't care about anything that's happening to anyone else as long as it doesn't involve me. That's not a true peacemaker. A peacemaker is not a person who's always tolerant. You have your truth, I'll have mine. If you do your thing, I'll do mine. It's not a peacemaker. It's not what it means to make peace. 
And third, a peacemaker is not simply an appeaser. This one hit me. The kind of person who wants peace at any price. Because appeasement does not make for peace, not real peace. It just puts off the conflict. It just delays it. So bear with me. Like I said, this one hit me. Bear with me for a few moments while I go down this little rabbit trail here. Um, Peace is not just the absence of conflict. Like appeasement puts off the conflict. But peace is not just the absence of something. It's also the presence of something. Peace is not just like a truce or a ceasefire where it's like, okay, I won't shoot at you. You don't shoot at me. We'll put our guns down while we reload them for a time. Just put off the conflict for a little while. Peace is the absence of something, but it's also the presence of something. Peace is the absence of conflict, yes, but peace is also the presence of a relationship that's right in God's eyes. So peace is the absence of conflict in the presence of the, relation, of, of the righteousness of Christ. Is that not how God saved us? Like, praise God that he did not just tell me, your, son, your sins are forgiven. I cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. You got a blank slate. Good luck. Hope you don't offend me again. He didn't just give me a blank slate. We know that Jesus, he, he removed something. It was the absence of something, the sin that was causing my conflict with God. He placed that on Christ on the cross, removed it from me. And then he filled me and covered me. He gave me something, the righteousness of Christ. So peace is the absence of something, but it's also the presence of something. If it's not, then it's not true peace. For example, if my wife and I are arguing about how to discipline our kids, and I just throw up my hands and say, okay, fine, you win. Whatever you want to do, I just don't want to fight anymore, which I'm guilty of. That's not real peace. That's false peace. While I'm harboring bitterness and resentment, even if it's unknown to me in my heart, which will explode and come out later. Or we've all been in this situation where there's weird, obvious conflict in a workplace. Like you could cut the tension in the room with a knife and the boss comes in. It's like, oh, no, everything's hunky-dory. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Let's all just get back to work. Like that's not peace. That's not true peace. That's appeasement. That's putting off the conflict. Or when you see that person at work or maybe at church this morning that really annoys you or that's very discouraging to you or that you don't just necessarily like. And so you see them and you're like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee just so I don't have to talk to that person. Or I'm going to go to the break room so I don't have to talk to that person. That's not true peace. That's not true peace. That's just putting off the conflict. It's a false peace. And God has harsh words in the Old Testament to prophets who cried, peace, peace, when there was no peace. So that is not what peace is. That is not what a peacemaker does. The true peacemaker, contrary to what most people think, is not afraid to make waves. A true peacemaker is not afraid to make waves. R.C. Sproul talks about a peacemaker in the church in this passage like this. He says this, a peacemaker in church will likely be accused of disturbing the peace and unity of the church. But to sacrifice truth 
integrity or purity for the sake of peace is nothing but a carnal peace. It's a false peace. The peacemakers that Jesus has in view here in Matthew are those who bring true peace to bear without compromising integrity, truth, or justice. Peace that comes at a cost, at the cost of truth, has brought the church to ruin many times in church history. I believe that's true. So that's what peace is not. So what is a peacemaker? What does it mean to make peace? First, let's look at Christ, Philippians chapter 2. Christ set the ultimate example. He's the ultimate peacemaker. Philippians chapter 2, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interest, but to the interests of others. You should have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who did what? Who humbled himself, who gave up his glory in heaven, who came down to the earth and lived as a man, and then gave himself, gave his life, sacrificed himself on the cross. So that's what a peacemaker is. Peacemakers are humble, lowly, willing to lower themselves, even lose their dignity in order to bring about true peace. I've got three other characteristics of a peacemaker for you. Number one, peacemakers are honest. Peacemakers are honest. To begin with, peacemakers are characterized by honesty. If there is a problem, the peacemaker admits it. They're honest. Painfully honest. Honest about the condition of his own heart. Honest about the condition of his relationships with others. Honest about conflict that he has. If he's wronged someone, he admits it. If he feels tension because he, he may uh, or someone has wronged him, he goes and admits it. He admits when relationships fails. He does not pretend. A true peacemaker is honest. He does not pretend. So let me ask you, are you willing to be honest about the current state of your heart? Are you willing to be brutally honest about the current state of your marriage? Are you willing to be brutally honest about the current state of your parenting or your relationships at home, with family, with friends, at church, at work? Are you willing to be honest or are you just sweep it under the rug and say everything's going to be okay? True peacemakers are honest. Second, true peacemakers are willing to take the risk of being hurt. True peacemakers are willing to take the risk of being hurt. Anytime we go and seek peace with personal relationships or out in the culture today, we take the risk of being misunderstood. We take the risk of failing. We take the risk of, of being hurt. But that's what peacemakers do. It's hard. Sometimes it hurts when you've wronged someone and you have to go apologize. Sometimes it's hard and it's a heavy burden to care when you've been wronged and you have to go have a hard conversation with someone else, the person who wronged you. You risk failure, you risk being hurt, you risk being misunderstood. The temptation is to let things slide. It's so easy just to rationalize and try to say that bringing true peace will only make things worse right now. 
but it won't. And that's why Jesus calls us to it. I can identify with this as well. If I was being brutally honest with you, I would say one of my biggest insecurities is failure. I fear failure. And so there have been many times in my life when I've had the opportunity to be a true peacemaker, and I failed at that. I've let those opportunities slide by me for the sake of this, because I risked failure. I risked being hurt. I, was, I, I, I failed to risk being hurt. I wasn't willing to, and I regret that. True peacemakers are willing to risk being hurt. Are you willing to be hurt in order to bring true peace to a situation? Are you willing to sacrifice your ego, your position, whatever it takes in order to bring peace? Number three, peacemakers fight for peace. It sounds like paradoxical. Sounds like that doesn't make any sense. Peacemakers fight for peace. God's word tells us in Ephesians 4, make every effort, fight, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Romans 14 verse 19 says, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. Make every effort to fight for true peace. Now, this does not mean the peacemaker has a combative spirit. This does not mean the peacemaker, he or she has this license to kill with their words. Peacemakers are not arrogant, they're not prideful. They're meek and lowly like Christ. So that's the character of a true peacemaker. They're honest about what's going on in their own hearts. They're sensitive to where others are at. They refuse to be satisfied with the cheap peace that says peace, peace when there is no peace. They're willing to risk pain and misunderstanding to make things right. Peacemakers will even fight for peace in a Christ-like way. So then the question we have to ask ourselves is like, is that what we want to be? That's hard. That's a hard, radical call. Is that the type of person we want to be? Jesus says, this characterizes my followers. Blessed, happy, my favor rests upon peacemakers. Is that what you want to be in your life? True peacemakers will not let problems, will not let conflicts in their church, in their home, in their workplace, in their relationships remain undealt with. They will do the hard work of peacemaking. But this hard call, this hard radical call to peacemaking also comes with a precious promise from God. So the final point is delight in the rewards of being a peacemaker delight in the rewards of being a peacemaker. The reward of being a peacemaker is breathtaking. It said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I know that's like Christianese language that's thrown around a lot, like, oh, you're a son and daughter of God. Everybody's a child of God. But don't let the truth in the sweet, glorious, blessed, do not let these words um, not hit you today. Do not miss the truth that's here today. Do not miss this beautiful promise of reward. It's incredible. It's fascinating to be called a child of God. Now, I want to be clear, it's not our 
It's not our peacemaking that makes us sons of God. It's not like, okay, I do the work of peacemaking and now I'm called a son of God. It's like Jesus made peace for us and then enabled us to become peacemakers. And people notice that and then they call us sons of God. And God calls us his sons and daughters. But it's not our peacemaking that makes us right with God. I want to be very clear about that. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. These peacemakers not only are children of the peace-loving God, but they come to be called so. Men are struck by their likeness to their father. Hereby our sonship is known to ourselves and to others. Men of peace are the children of the God of peace, and their father's blessing rests upon them. It's a beautiful, wonderful thought. You really think about being a son or a daughter of God, what, what God has done to adopt us into his family and the blessings that come with that. Paul says it in Ephesians 1 this way, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Do you know that Paul never mentions his earthly father ever in the New Testament? He only talks about the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about him as his father. And he talks about him as our father beautiful, beautiful truth. The Father who's graciously adopted us rebels, sinful, broken people. I don't deserve it. He's graciously adopted us into his family, and he calls us his own. John says it this way in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. What John is saying, he says, look at what foreign, alien type of love this is, this unfathomable type of love. Look at it. It's like, I can't even understand it. The fact that God would call me his son. It's incredible. It's the ultimate blessing. This means that no matter what baggage you carry or that you've inherited from your earthly family, because we've all inherited some through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has brought you into his family. And now he's making all things new. All the dysfunctions and the sinful patterns, no matter how good your family was that you inherited from your earthly family, Through the gospel and through peace with God, God adopting you into his family, he's making all of those things right. He's renewing them all. We'll still struggle because we still have sin, residual sin in our hearts, and we'll still struggle because we live in a sin-cursed world. But God is fixing us because we're in his family. He's the ultimate peacemaker. So depend upon the ultimate peacemaker Desire to be a peacemaker yourself and delight in the rewards of being a peacemaker. Delight and rest in your true identity as sons and daughters of the living God and go be peacemakers. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for making peace with us through the blood of the cross. 
we worship you and we praise you now for everything that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that if there's anyone in this room that has never depended upon you fully, never placed their faith and trust in you fully, they're not at peace with you, I pray that you would reveal that to them and draw them to your son, Jesus Christ. May they see Christ crucified in the eyes of their heart. May they see that as beautiful and glorious. And may they just cast themselves at the foot of the cross and trust in you. God, and for the Christians in the room, for the believers, I ask that you would give us the desire to be peacemakers. Give us the courage to be peacemakers. It's hard. But give us the courage to be peacemakers, to go out into this world, into our homes, into our workplaces, and to make peace. Use us as instruments. You're the God of peace, and only you can do it through us. God, and then we just worship you for the privilege of being called your children. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.